week, we are going to talk about marriage advice, or as we said last week, the longer version, characteristics of long-term effective <laughs> relationships, which, yes. is, which is kind of a mouthful, but yeah. we thought it would be good to just kind of talk about what makes a marriage work, what's effective in marriage. It's Dr. Burton's favorite topic, and it's a topic I enjoy as well. And it's probably my favorite topic because I feel like I have a pretty fantastic marriage. I feel like I have a really good marriage and I feel like my marriage is successful. And so I enjoy talking about my marriage because it brings me incredible happiness. And I think it's something we're good at, Curtis and I. I think we're good at being married. So, you know, maybe you and I are a good team to talk about this. I feel like I have a great marriage, been married mm -hmm. 40 40 almost 45 years mm -hmm. and you know i was thinking about th this topic i think who you choose to be married to mm -hmm. is probably the most important decision you ever make in life i agree uh, it sets in motion so many different things you know because often kids come as a result mm -hmm. of that but just happiness in general so i think it is a very important choice that you make and there are a couple of books I'll reference. I'll just give those a the start now. And I've probably talked about him before. John Gottman, who really is famous for being a marriage researcher. Mm -hmm. And for 40 years, probably, that's what he's done is he's looked at what are the differences between successful marriages and those marriages that are not successful. And mm -hmm. I believe his first book, it's called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Okay. Now, some of the ideas that we're going to talk about tonight come from there. But I think that that is a book that is great for any couple. And I suggest to, to the couples that I see, often they read it together out loud. And one of the nice things about that book is every chapter has exercises mm -hmm. that you can do together. And so tonight, when I talk about, you know, maybe an idea that comes from there, I'll just let the listeners know. So that's a good book. The other one that I've mentioned before, I think, on here is Robin Smith is the author. And it's called Lies at the Altar. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's a really great book for people maybe contemplating marriage to look at. And the, my favorite section is the, I think it's 276 questions to ask before you get married. So I, I think that this is a great topic. It's the thing that really, when I was back in graduate school so many years ago, I really wanted to do marriage work. I don't mm -hmm. know why I I wanted that. It was just always an interest. And that's the way it's been for most of my career. The vast majority of my work has been with couples. Mm -hmm. So uh, what now that you decided to get married? What do you do? Uh -huh. uh, I think that I've mentioned before, I always look at two people coming together as they're bringing little mini cultures. So if you look right. at, at yourself and Curtis and you look at your families of origin, they're probably pretty different. I mean, there are similarities. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they're probably different. <laughs> they're very and different. <laughs> for instance, how we celebrate holidays, mm -hmm. um, how we celebrate birthdays, what do we do on vacation, things like that. And we tend to come into the marriage thinking, oh, the way we did it in my family growing up is the right way. Mm -hmm. And you have to really think of it as bringing together too many cultures and creating a brand new culture. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you approach it that way, which is going to be one of the points down here that I talk about that I think is important is that 
your way is not always the right way. Right. And I think parents who have children who are getting married need to recognize that as well. I think it can be hard for them to see, well, this is my child and they're still my child, but they're also married. I think it can be hard for parents to let go of ownership mm-hmm. <laughs> of, that, of oh. that relationship. Oh, I agree. That's actually a whole different topic in how do you set boundaries with your mm-hmm. parents when you're married, yes. uh, which would be a good topic to do one day. So you're right. Often it's the parents of the young people getting married who have the hardest time. So as far as top characteristics, now, as I mentioned before we started recording, these are my top characteristics today. Okay. If we talk next week, there'd probably be a different list or, Mm -hmm. you know, some of them would be the same. And these are in no particular order. Okay. Of importance. So the first one is compassion and empathy. Okay. And I think that Harville Hendricks, who also wrote a book I like called Getting the Love You Want, he always said one of the primary tasks of marriage is to learn to be comfortable with difference. Mm-hmm. So it kind of goes back to what I said about these two mini cultures is that you don't marry yourself, you actually marry someone else. Yes. And, <laughs> and so I think the compassion and the empathy is that you are with someone who does not think exactly the same way you do. Mm-hmm. I often get couples, they'll come in and they'll say, you know, we are so different. How is this going to work? And I remind them that that is true for every single couple that I see. Mm-hmm. For every single couple that gets married, you are different people. You aren't the same. Mm-hmm. So learning to accept differences with compassion and empathy, I think is a, a really important characteristic. So the next one, Communication, it's under the heading of communication, but I think the most important part of communication is listening. Learn to be a good listener. You've got to be a great listener to Mm -hmm. to understand. And so that kind of, I think that really ties in with the compassion and the empathy piece because you have to listen with empathy and compassion. And try to genuinely understand where the other person is coming from. That's it. Not just not just listening because it's what I have to do, but really try to see it from their perspective. I had listed this next one as a separate, but I think it goes with this. It's being Mm non-judgmental. I think when you're listening to someone, if you feel like you're being judged, you're going to clamp or the person who's talking isn't going to be that willing to talk about those things that are intensely personal. I had this situation just today uh, with a couple that if you want the other person to really open up and talk, mm-hmm. you have to create a safe environment in which right. that can happen. And so that safe environment includes listening well, compassion, empathy, and not being judgmental about what you're hearing. And you said a really important thing a few minutes ago. It's about understanding, mm-hmm. listening with understanding. So here's another characteristic that in, in my mind, goes along with understanding. This is probably the first time you might have heard this in okay. this type of list. Curiosity. Yes, I see exactly where you're going with this. Yeah. So I see this often in couples. They just aren't that curious about their partner. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you're going to listen with understanding, you really want to understand everything you can about this life partner mm-hmm. that you have. I think it takes a certain amount of curiosity. Now. Right. One of the ways this ties into, I think it's the first chapter that Gottman talks about, he calls it love maps. 
And so he found one of the principles uh, that he finds in successful couples is that you're really aware of your partner's world. Mm -hmm. And I've always been aware of Lindy's world. And uh, I I would guess that you're pretty aware of Curtis's world. Mm -hmm. And so it's surprising to me when couples come in and they really don't know that much about the other person. And often they don't know that much about what goes on in the other person's day, either at work or at home. Mm-hmm. And so there's this chapter he talks about love maps, which is just how well do you know who are your partner's best friends? What are their challenges at work? Just as simple as what do they like to do? What hobbies do they have? Mm-hmm. Sometimes partners don't know those simple things. That baffles so, me. <laughs> I mean, I, it I, does me too, but I hear it. I, yeah, and, 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 and I can't say, what are you talking about? You don't know, you know, these right, simple things. Right. So I I just start talking about Gottman and how this is a characteristic of a successful marriage. But I think in at the heart of it, it, it really comes down to, I am curious about your world and I want to know more about you. Right. And I know almost everything that goes on in Curtis's work. Part of it is he works from home. And so mm. when there's a problem, he comes or there's a problem that he needs to vent about he comes to me and, and he, he just wants to tell me about it when he's frustrated about something. And he knows that a lot of what he says is work jargon and it goes right over the top of my head. But I listen anyways and I try to understand or I try to comprehend it in some way that I can at least be empathetic. And he really appreciates that. I can tell that he does because, well, he keeps coming back to me because I genuinely listen to him because he's genuinely struggling with something. And I have no idea how to solve the problem, but I'm I'm listening and I'm saying, man, that really sucks. I'm sorry, your day is so rough. So that goes back to the empathy. See? Mm-hmm. And, and the, so the way you're doing it increases the likelihood that he will come to you in the future and do the same thing mm-hmm. about whatever it is. It doesn't necessarily have to be work. And so it's not about solving the other person's problem. It's a, it's about listening and understanding. And the other thing I've probably mentioned before is that let's say you have these two people, they're married, and one is listening to the other person. I would never enter into the other person's process unless invited. And what okay. I mean by that is I would not offer a solution Mm-hmm. unless the other person invited me to do so. Mm, that's a good point and a really hard one. So I'm thinking about the video that you've referenced. It's not about the oh, nail. Not, it's not about the nail, right? Yes, that video. And so often we just want to fix the problem. And I have a really close friend who I talk with still regularly, and we live in different states now, but we would get together once a week, let our kids entertain each other, and we would just chat. And we would tell each other about problems we're having, and both of us would often try to go to solve it. Mm-hmm. And we've both gotten better about just listening and empathizing, but it's so hard to watch someone who you love and care about struggle and not try to fix it because you want them to be happier because you care about this person. But a lot of times they just need you to listen. They don't need a solution. They just need compassion. Right. And I agree with you. It's hard to see people we love struggling. 
But Mm -hmm. I think first and foremost, it's about the listening and understanding. And then I think if a couple does that well, they eventually then get to solution. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens if the person feels like the person listening really gets it, I think they're more likely to say, what do you think I ought to do about this? Mm-hmm. Because they feel heard, they feel understood, they feel seen, and then they can you know, listen to any type of ideas. So I, I never enter into the other person's process unless invited to mm-hmm. offer some sort of solution. So the last one I have listed, let me see if I can explain this. I was struggling to come up with words for this. Okay. I sometimes find, well, actually this happens often. You'll get one partner or even both partners in a couple where they each think they're always right. Oh, that would be frustrating. (laughs) Have you ever run into people who think they're always right? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but it's, it's hard to say. See the problem with that. Well, there are a lot of problems with that, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very <laughs> egotistical. <laughs> right. But the problem with it, too, here are some of the problems, is that it makes it very hard to listen with compassion and uh-huh. empathy without offering to solve the problem. Because uh-huh. often the person who thinks they're right is the first one is going to say, well, you know, you ought to do this and this and this and this. Yeah. But the the other thing with thinking that you're right is, I think, in couples' issues, it's often about compromise. You know, yeah. how do so you're going to come in, you're two different people, you're you're trying to come up with a solution to a problem and often, not always, but often there's going to be a compromise in there. If you think you're always right, you're going to be unwilling to compromise. And so mm-hmm. I see that often. I see couples who come in just really for that particular issue. And here's one I hear and I'm trying to think, I think I mostly hear this from men. Okay. A statement. And they'll say, well, it's just common sense. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is they're talking about, to them, it's just common sense. Which the underlying message to their spouse is what? Uh, you I'm don't right. have any. You don't have any common sense. <laughs> or that, sense. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not very healthy. <laughs> no. No, it's not. It's, you know, the other person doesn't take it very well. So I think if if you ever hear the words, well, it's just common sense, you really know you have someone who thinks they're right. Uh-huh. And I think also they're referring back to whatever experience they had in their families of origin growing right. up. That's yeah, where that it comes was, from. Yep. Yep. That's how I did it growing up. So, and it worked. So why wouldn't we do it this way now? Right. Well, and so because they, it doesn't work they, anymore. They put that term in. It's just common sense. What are you talking about? Why would you do uh-huh. it any other way? Uh-huh. Uh huh. So trying to help couples really understand they're not always right, mm-hmm. and that I think here's the important point. I think in most cases with couples' issues, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong. Yeah. I think there's this huge gray area. Now it, it's clear that in life there are some things that are right and wrong. I'm not saying that that everything is that way, but I think the vast majority of issues that couple encounters, there's no right and wrong. Where I find this is in parenting. I'll talk to couples often about parenting. Mm -hmm. And I think in our episode on parenting, I mentioned this, that 
it's not that there is a right or a wrong way. It's your way as a couple. And the important mm-hmm. thing is you come up with whatever your way is. Yes. But if you get in your corner and say, nope, this is the right way to do this, then there's going to be a lot more conflict in the relationship than is necessary. So that I think is an important one. Stay away yeah. from the belief that you are always right. Or it's my way or the highway. My not, way or the highway. Yeah. That's not going to work very well. Nope, it's not. So I once heard a quote that said, men get married thinking the woman will never change and women marry a man thinking they can change him. <laughs> and so what happened? You know, I is, think that's true. <laughs> yes. And often it, and I it, think that's true. Often. Yes. Often I think that's what happens. And the woman eventually changes and the man never does. So they both end up really unhappy. So it is very important to just accept your spouse for who they are early on. I would say one of the biggest conflicts in the first year of mine and Curtis's marriage was managing expectations. Mm-hmm. So he oh, yeah. he is a gamer and he doesn't play video games as much as he used to. But when we first got married, he played a lot of video games and I would get really mad at him for it because I'm like, why don't you come spend time with me. And he would say, well, just tell me you want to spend time. You want me to spend time with you? Just say something and I'll get off and we'll do something. And I'm like, no, I want you to want to get off and spend time with me. (laughs) And it was, and it was really unfair of him. And so finally I just had to accept he likes to play video games. It's who he is. I love him. I love him for who he is. And it has driven his love of technology, which has driven his field. And I just accepted it. And I started saying, hey, I want to do something with you. Can we do something together? That was all it took. Good, good. Yes. And, and it's worked really- That's what really, you need to do. Exactly. And it's worked really well throughout our entire marriage. Of course, we have three kids now. So his ability to game has really decreased. He doesn't have right. nearly as much time as he used to. But even when he does have free time, there's times where I'm like, hey, I wanted to hang out or I wanted to do something tonight. And of course, we've been married for 10 years. So now I know to say, hey, I want to do this tonight. So he doesn't start (laughs) something. But, you know, even when he does, it's like, uh, can you spend time with me? I want your attention. I can even say it like that. And he says, "Okay, yeah, let me finish what I'm doing. And that's the end of it. So, you know, that's a really good point about expectations Mm -hmm. that... I think a vast majority of couples' issues are about unfulfilled expectations. Yeah. And so you each will have different expectations. That goes back to the idea that you're two different people. Mm-hmm. But the only way to solve that particular problem, since we don't read minds very well, is nope. to put the expectation out on the table. Mm-hmm. And you talk about it. And so his expectation might be like, you know, that he plays games once in a while. Your expectation is that he spends some time with you. And so there's some middle ground somewhere. Mm-hmm. And how do you get there? And so you have solved that by saying, hey, I want to spend time with you tonight. And it takes care of the problem. But you took that expectation and you verbalized it. You put it out there mm-hmm. instead of being angry when the expectation wasn't fulfilled. Right. And it didn't work really well. And it caused a lot of conflict early on. And we finally figured it out. But that's one of my talking points is own your expectations, acknowledge them. And I think that is from John Gottman. I Uh I had a friend who 
got married around the same time I did. And I'm pretty sure she read that book because, and she talked a lot about it. And one of the things was own your expectations and you have to tell them Mm -hmm. what you expect because it's not fair to get mad because they didn't read your mind. Right. And also something you said triggered a thought. And that is, I think you said, I want you to want to spend time with me. Yes. Yes. So I hear that a lot. It's not that he doesn't want to spend time with you. It's that he has this other interest as well. Mm -hmm. Every day we're making choices about how we spend our time. And sometimes it's based on a request. I would like to spend time with you. Okay, I'll Mm -hmm. spend time with you. That's the way a healthy marriage works. And then he can go off and play his game Mm -hmm. when he needs to. So yeah, I think, you know, own your expectation, but also verbalize them and put them out on the table and talk about how you can each have some of your expectations met. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hi there, my name is Maya Acosta, and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast, where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. Right. So another topic that would be good to discuss is prioritizing your spouse, even when you have kids. Mm -hmm. So there's this common acknowledgement that I don't even think you have to verbalize that once you have a kid, that little succubus is going to take (laughs) everything. (laughs) And and they, they really are. I mean, I, I love my three little succubuses, but (laughs) succubi, I don't know what the right word for that is, but anyways, it's just understood that their needs are going to come before your own personal needs, but it is still so important to prioritize your spouse anytime you can, because what happens, and this happened with my parents, and I think it's more common with women, they put everything into their kids and they put so much into their kids and it ends up being their whole identity. And I remember my mom going through a bit of an identity crisis when my youngest brother was about the age of 12. And she's like, well, what do I do now? Who am I now? My kids are all grown or my kids are all independent. Now, who am I? Yeah. And I think that we do not, well, I think we understand we don't accept easily the role of tens of thousands of years of evolution. And so when you think about, you said mothers often give everything in order to ensure the survival of the species that had to happen. So if you think about 10,000 years ago on the savannas, the mothers had to make sure that was their job mm-hmm. was to keep the child alive. And so, you know, as each successive generation inherits those qualities. And so it makes sense to me yeah. that mothers really dive into that because that's our history. That's how we survive. But and I agree kids that are just really demanding. Well, I mean, so if I have a young couple and I often see young couples who are having their first child, here's another book that John Gottman wrote. It's called and baby makes three. 
And this was his, the whole purpose was to help couples through that first child because he found out, you know, people call it the seven year itch. Have you ever heard the seven year itch? And so a lot of divorces, I think statistically around six or seven years, and a lot of people, they were trying to figure out why does that happen? Mm -hmm. And what Gottman found out is that it also corresponds to typically the birth of the first child. Okay. And so that becomes a stressful time. So if I'm seeing a couple who's having their first child, I try and help them see, I think that first year is very, very tough. And maybe I'm just <laughs> keen off of my own experience, but I think the first year of all four of my children, it's tough because the child is, you know, you're in diapers, they don't sleep yeah. well, typically, mm-hmm. often the mother's nursing. I mean, there are all these things that are going on that you're tired. And maybe that's it in the first year. You're both really tired. Yeah. And it can be really hard for first time mothers because that baby takes everything, 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 your sleep, your sanity, your emotional and mental health. And it can be really draining. And so mothers, like you said, we're programmed to just put everything into our child. But if you neglect your marital relationship, it will suffer because eventually the kids are going to move out and it's just going to be the two of you. And if you haven't properly invested into your marriage, there's not going to be much of a marriage left. But I also think, yeah, I agree. I think it's also important though, for the husband uh, in this case to really have a lot of understanding Yes, that you are not going to be the priority for a while. Mm-hmm. because the survival of this little child uh, depends on this. But getting yeah. back to what you said is don't stop dating or don't stop mm-hmm. prioritize your spouse at times. And so I think it just takes extra focus and extra work in that first year to really make an effort. And it's not going to be a big thing. It's not like you can go on a trip or typically and go out much unless you have someone you really trust with right. the child. You know, often we don't, but it's making an effort to show each other that you're still important now that, and that's going to be different for every couple. And I don't even know that you need to leave the house. I mean, you can, anything that COVID has done is in in this quarantine time, hopefully it's Mm -hmm. taught us to be a little bit, you know, more creative in the things that we might do because a lot Mm -hmm. of people were stuck at home. I know my son and his girlfriend in the Netherlands, you know, they got really creative because they were, pretty much stuck in their apartment. They had curfews. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, there are things you can do. It just takes more effort. Right. And I've even said, hey, let's do a date night tonight after the kids go to bed. And so what happens is one of us might go to the store and pick up some snacks and then we'll mm-hmm. sit down and we'll watch a movie mm-hmm. or we'll play a game together. You know, we're doing something and the kids are gone and we're really invested in each other. And it's really rough for, I would say almost the first two, maybe even three years, at least for Mm -hmm. our last two kids, it was because, because we felt like we could never go out by ourselves. It was so hard to get out just the two of us because our kids are just so attached. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought it would be really great living with my mother-in-law in that oh, our kids are going to be so familiar and my one-year-old is going to love them so much that we're going to be able to go out on dates because, you know, my one-year-old will be comfortable 
being with my mother-in-law and that didn't happen. It didn't happen. Oh, I'm sorry. That didn't happen. I mean, you know, it just was what it was. And part yeah. of it is she physically can't, she, she's physically unable to lift him. Mm-hmm. And so she didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to hold him. And, you know, that just is what it is. You know, I mean, there is nothing to be done about it. And, and we're getting there. But there are certainly ways that you can still show your spouse love. There's this cute, tiny little thing that we love that's taking everything from us. But you're still important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Trying new things together. Yes. I think is really important. Our brain loves novelty. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the best things couples can do is try new things. And I, I hear couples, they, they maybe they'll go to a new restaurant. Maybe they'll, you know, try a new canyon to hike in. And it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be anything extravagant. It's just you're doing something new with each other. Mm-hmm. And that is really, I think, important to keep kind of that spark alive. It creates a little bit of passion. Then the other thing, the importance of forgiveness. Yes. So the human condition, I think, is that we all make mistakes. Yep. And we all make mistakes in marriages, even marriages that are really, really good. Mm -hmm. We make mistakes. And so I think if we go back to some of those first things that I mentioned, compassion, empathy, listening, being non-judgmental, and the belief that, you know, your way is not often the right way. I think it's really easier to listen to the other person if they've done something that's been, say, harmful or hurtful mm-hmm. in the relationship. And so forgiveness, I believe, is like a social contract, okay. meaning you each play a part. And I think, you know, for my part, if I've done something, I would come to you and I'd say, I am really sorry that I did this and here's what I did. And, you know, I'm going to really try not to do this thing again. The other person then, they're part of the social contract is they can actually accept that or reject it. And so I think, you know, that is a choice. But I think to heal, forgiveness is really an important concept that the belief that we all make mistakes and that we can try better and that we can repair from those mm-hmm. mistakes. I'm a really big believer in repair. And that's actually one of the points that somewhere in Gottman's book, Seven Principles, he's going to talk about repair, that successful couples, it's not that they don't have any less conflict. Mm-hmm. It's that they repair really well. Yes. And when they say, I forgive you, they actually mean it. It's genuine. And it's genuine. And how many times do we hear this? oh, every time we get into an argument, you bring this back up. That's really dangerous. And it's really, really easy to do. It is. But I mean, you said you forgave them. So it mitigates trust. Mm -hmm. And so if you really forgive a person, then, you know, you you put it out of your mind. It's not necessarily that you forget about it, but you don't bring it up and you don't beat them over the head with it in the future. It is Uh, not a weapon you really let it go. And Mm -hmm. so forgiveness, there's a great book, Janice Abrams Spring is the author. It's called, How Can I Forgive You? And it's talking about how can I forgive you, I think in the context of an affair. But she talks about forgiveness in a couple of different ways. I think she thinks there are four types of forgiveness. One is she calls it, I don't think she uses the word fake, but insincere forgiveness. Cause I, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've, you've probably experienced someone, you know, I do something terrible and the other person says, well, I forgive you. There's really no 
process that has occurred that would allow the person to forgive you. One is a sincere forgiveness, which we just talked about, which I think Mm -hmm. is that social contract. And the third one is you can actually choose not to forgive. You know, no, I'm not going to forgive you. Now, I think that's damaging to the relationship. I'm not advising that. She just just is outlining these three different types. And then the fourth type, she terms it as acceptance, that sometimes if the other person is not going to fulfill their part of that social contract, like maybe they've done something uh, to offend you or to hurt you, and they don't come to you Mm -hmm. and say, I did this thing. They didn't start the process. All you're really left with is acceptance. Right. Of that this is what happened. Right. And so one thing to to kind of maybe turn this on its side is to keep in mind that generally your spouse, they aren't trying to hurt you. And so right. I think I it's I think it's important to keep that in mind. There's been times where many times, in fact, where I said to Curtis, you know, you did this or you said this, and I know you didn't mean it that way, but this is how it made me feel. This is how Mm -hmm. I felt about it. Right. And, and he acknowledges it and he, he says, okay. And, you know, he then knows to avoid that behavior. But I think we have to remember that, you know, your spouse married you because they love you and it's not their intention to hurt you. And rather than just blowing up, you know, talk about it. Right. So forgiveness, very important concept in successful marriages and the the ability to repair. Yes. So don't stop dating. I 